Sorry, I got distracted. I was looking up Newfoundland on a map. And uh, Canada, East Coast, really uh, far away, kind of isolated. Great reminder about as to why uh, any Armstrong offering is so um, imperative, important for us, funds missionaries throughout North America. Well, yesterday morning, woke up, got dressed, got ready, took my daughter downtown, not downtown, North Charleston uh, for a... uh, Watched a cheer competition and uh, lost my hearing while I was there. <laughs> and, uh, okay, what'd you say? Sorry. Anyway, and came back and uh, watched uh, Gamecock baseball, second half of the baseball game. Got real excited with that outcome. And then I watched the women's basketball team in one of the nation win, and I got real excited with that outcome. And when the game was almost over, my wife's like, You're going to watch every second of that game? I was like, Yeah, I am. And uh, she said, I need some help here in the kitchen. All you've done is watch sports all day long. I said, that's a problem? (laughs) You know, that's an issue. And, uh, uh, you know, it can be. I don't know if it was, but it can be if we're not careful. And we're looking today at a really serious subject. You know, as you go through the Scripture, uh, last week we had a very encouraging message, very uh, timely message for us. We all should have been encouraged about God's love for us. But today we're looking at a little more serious subject. It's not going to be a, necessarily a fun sermon to hear. It's going to be one we need to hear and we need to receive. And so we're at Numbers 25 today, starting in verse 1. While Israel lived in Shittim, the people began to whore with the daughters of Moab. These invited the people to the sacrifices of their gods, and the people ate and bowed down to their gods. So Israel yoked himself to Baal of Peor. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel, and the Lord said to Moses, Take all the chiefs of the people and hang them in the sun before the Lord that the fierce anger of the Lord may turn away from Israel. And Moses said to the judges of Israel, Each of you kill those of his men who have yoked themselves to Baal of Peor. And behold, one of the people of Israel came and brought a Midianite woman to his family in the sight of Moses and in the sight of the whole congregation of the people of Israel while they were weeping in the entrance of the tent of meeting. And when Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, son of Aaron the priest, saw it, he rose and left the congregation and took a spear in his hand and went after the man of Israel into the chamber and pierced both of them, the man of Israel and the woman through her belly. Thus the plague on the people of Israel was stopped. Nevertheless, those who died by the plague were 24,000. Heavenly Father, we come into your house once again to worship you today in spirit and in truth. And we look at this passage that you've given us today, of a very real event that happened years ago. Lord, we know that as believers, as Christians, those of us in here that believe in Jesus, what he's done for us on the cross, we know that we have a, a covenant relationship with you. It's different than the relationship you had with Israel 
But we know that we do not have a conditional relationship like they did. But we still have a relationship with you that you've called us to live in certain ways and be certain ways, Father. So as we look at this passage, show us today how it applies not only into your plan, but what we can get from it as we continue to worship you, as we continue to be uh, on mission for your kingdom today. Father, I pray that uh, my words reflect the truthfulness of your intent in Scripture, and that you fill me with your spirit, in Jesus' name, amen. Before we dive into the passage, we need to set the scene. Forty years have passed since Israel had entered into the wilderness, since God had rescued them out of Egypt. And because of their disobedience, God saw to it that an entire generation of his people died out before the nation could enter into the promised land. So for 40 years, they walked in circles. They took laps around Mount Sinai over and over again. And, the, and the, now the time to cross over had come. And so the new generation of Israelites were ready to enter the land. But there was a king of Moab, a man named Balak, who was threatened by the Israelites because he had seen what God had done through them. So he spoke to a man named Balaam, who was a sorcerer. And he warned him, uh, and, or, and he enlisted him to curse God's people. But on the way to do so, some incredible things happened that we can't get into today. Uh, but God spoke to Balaam and warned him not to curse Israel. And whatever he said actually blessed Israel. He put God's word in his mouth, and every time he spoke, he blessed Israel, whereas the king of Moab, Balak, was upset. He had, he had hired him to do one thing, and he did the exact opposite. But we're going to see that Balaam's influence was also negative, and that through him being with the tribe and around the tribe, uh, he, his influence led them into their idolatry. So I'm going to give us today three facets of idolatry today. We'll, we'll define that in a second. Three facets of it. First, idolatry begins with compromise. Idolatry begins with compromise. Verse 1 says, While Israel lived in Shittim, the people began to whore with the daughters of Moab. Now, I read, I read that at first, and I thought, well, they must be speaking metaphorical language here, like, you know, cheating on God with another God. But that, no, no, it was not metaphorical. It is what it sounds like. They entered into sexually immoral relationships with the pagan Moabite women, which they were called not to do. And this compromise then led them into full-out idolatry. So what is idolatry? Let's define that. It is extreme admiration, love, or reverence for something or someone. Extreme admiration, love, or reverence for something or someone. Now, when that, when that admiration, when that love, when that reverence is given to God, it's perfectly good and holy. But when that admiration, when that love, when that reverence hangs on every free throw, on every base hit, on every touchdown pass, on every sale at Target, and anything else that you're interested in doing, it becomes a problem. 
becomes idolatry. It becomes sin. It breaks the second commandment. Now, when it comes to idolatry with Israel, there was a a constant and ever-present threat for Israel to, to compromise their faith with the indigenous religions and the cultures of the area. Somehow the Israelite men had gotten involved into this immorality with the Moabites, and so that their desire for fun, their desire for pleasure, led them further down the road of compromise. So verse 2 tells us this, that they invited the people to the sacrifices of their gods, and the Israelite people ate and bowed down to their gods. Because they're already involved in sin with this nation, they started to loosen their commitment to the God of Israel. Their desire for pleasure, their desire for sexual freedom led them to eventually start worshiping the gods of the Moabites. Tells us this. And so verse 3 tells us, so Israel yoked himself to Baal, that's the god of Peor, the area. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel. Now, yoking, what is yoking? It's not like an egg yoke, it's a little different. It's what you do to two beasts of burden. So you have two oxen plowing the land, and you put a yoke around their necks, and it joins them together, so they have to do the work together. They have to walk side by side to plow the land. If one turns, then the other has to turn, or it doesn't work. There is a stalemate. And so we're told here that Israel put a yoke around themselves, metaphorically, to the false god Baal. What Baal wanted, they did. Where they went, Baal followed. Not the god of the Bible, but the god of the Moabites. They had joined into a relationship with a false god. Now, you almost can't blame them on some level, because Baal was the most popular god in the area. All the cool kids were following Baal. He seemed to be blessing them. They seemed to be enjoying their life. They seemed to be having fun. Everything seemed to be going well. And popular things are attractive. That's what makes them popular. Something that's not attractive doesn't become popular. Things that look nice and have fun, they become popular. And so they struggled with this. Hey, we're all worshiping Baal. Look how great our lives are. You should too. So God's righteous anger turned toward them. And we know from chapter 31 and a few chapters ahead that this idolatry started under the influence and the leadership of this sorcerer, Balaam, who was speaking truth about God, but he brought this into them. Look at Numbers 31, 16. It tells us that, behold, these, on Balaam's advice, caused the people of Israel to act treacherously against the Lord of the incident of Peor, And so the plague came among the congregation of the Lord. Balaam was a greedy man who used sorcery and other pagan religious practices to come into wealth. That's what he did. And his advice was to follow the Baal of Peor. His influence to the Israelites was a gateway drug, so to speak, that opened them up for them to to loosen their morals for them to loosen their commitment to God. So what did God do? He, he sent a plague to turn them, their, to turn their hearts back to Him. Now when we talk about plagues, this was 
four years ago, we wouldn't have a real idea what that was about. But we've all been through it now. Unless you're, you know, age three or younger, you might not have, right? There's some kids out here that are talking that, you know, weren't alive when it started, which boggles my mind. It's hard to believe. It's been so long now. But we have a better idea what a plague might look like. And he sent him one, sent the people one, to call their hearts back to him. They had compromised their faith. What does the Bible say about spiritual compromise? Look at 1 Kings 18, 21. This is years later. A prophet named Elijah. He came near to all the people and said to them, to God's people, how long, how long will you go limping back and forth between two different opinions? If the Lord is God, then follow him. But if Baal is, then follow him. Choose. Pick one. Don't go back and forth committing spiritual adultery on God. Pick one, he says. And the people did not answer him a word. So Baal worship was a common theme throughout Israel's Old Testament history. And Elijah calls it out and draws a line in the sand and says, choose. Choose. He says you can't keep going back and forth between two different opinions of what's right and what's wrong. If you're going to follow me, he says. In other words, spiritual compromise is sin. God tells us the same thing in the New Testament. Look at Colossians 3, 5. God's Word tells us to put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Earthly, it's not of God, it's of the world. What is that? Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. These are things you worship over me. He says, put, to de- put them to death. And, and we are without excuse because we've been told what is right. Look at James 4, 17. He says, so whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. If you know what's right and you don't do it, he says, it is sin. Spiritual compromise. There's a story I read online about a young married couple named Jeremy and Aaron, E-R-I-N. Jeremy was sitting at home watching a baseball game on TV, so I like him already. But his wife Aaron was rifling through the kitchen, making a bunch of noise, just kind of tearing the kitchen up, which was unlike her. And, and, and she said, honey, have you seen my recipe for shepherd's pie? <laughs> and he says, no, I, no, what, what does it look like? She said, well, it's, it's a half page I clipped out of a magazine. The recipe is on one side, and a, a, an ad for Miracle Whip is on the other. And Jeremy says, no, I, I haven't seen it. And he kind of gave her a small smile, a, like a reassuring smile as he was watching the game. And she said, I've looked everywhere, and she started pleading with him. She, just, she looked at him, looked back at the kitchen, and she was just all out of sorts and upset. And, and he says, well, I'll help you look. So he got up, and he started looking through the junk drawer. And if your house is like mine, you know, every kitchen has a junk drawer, right? They, some might be cleaner than others, but we all got them. Look, junk drawer, and there's, there's, you know, there's you know, soy sauce in there and all kind of stuff, right? Years' worth of takeout menus and coupons were just taken out of that and placed on the counter. She looked through it over where he looked through all of it. He says, I don't see it over here either. So she said, Well, her shoulders slumped. I must have thrown it out accidentally. 
So the husband said, well, you know, maybe you could find a different shepherd's pie recipe somewhere. And his wife was not good at change, and she said, no, I don't think another version would, would work as well. So he said, and Jamie said, well, maybe it'll turn up one day. So she gave a half-hearted smile and thought about how thoughtful her husband was, and she says, maybe it will. I guess I better get to the store. I need to find something else to cook for dinner on Wednesday night. And Jeremy said, don't worry about that. Let's just go out to dinner Wednesday night. You pick. You can pick. And she said, well, you know, that, that actually sounds good. And, and even though she was routine-oriented, she, she recognized that this is another good idea, another trait that she had that she admired in her husband that he was willing to change and think outside the box. And she says, what about that nice Thai place? Can we go get some Thai food? And he said, yes, we'll do that. And so she was excited, and she kissed him on the cheek, and she walked out. And the husband just smiled and thought about his wife and put his hands in his pockets. Thought about how he loved his wife and he loved her habits and loved her eye, her eye color, her green eyes, loved her resilience. And the bottom of his pocket, his fingers were messing around in his, in his pocket and they brushed the frayed edge of a recipe clipped from a magazine. Get it? The recipe was in his pocket. He seemed like a compromising husband, didn't he? Oh, you know, we'll just do this instead, right? But underneath compromise, the motivation can be selfish. There can be a hidden motive. He must have not liked her shepherd's pie, is all I got to say. Prevalent sin in our lives will loosen our commitment. To Jesus. Now, don't any of you get that get an idea when you go home today? <laughs> right. Compromise might seem good on the surface. Oh yeah, we'll just go do this instead. But deep down, sometimes it's not. Many times, if it's spiritual compromise, it's never good. See, Balaam, Balaam spoke the truth of God. If you read the story, God said, "I'm going to put my truth in your mouth, where you can't help but bless Israel." Everything he said was a blessing to Israel, but his life did not match up to his words. He compromised his life, even though he claimed that he believed in God. See, idolatry begins with compromise. Where are you tempted to compromise your faith through your lifestyle? What influence exists in your life that you know are not good for you what behaviors do you find yourself involved in that you know are not good for you is the pie really all that bad <laughs> is it worth it don't be surprised when these things lead you to soften your commitment to the god who saved you so idolatry starts with compromise secondly it continues with consequences continues with consequences. Look at verse 4. The Lord said to Moses, take all the chiefs of the people, the leaders, hang them in the sun. What? Wait a second. Yep, that's what he said to do. Before the Lord, that the fierce anger of the Lord may turn away from Israel. And Moses said to the judges of Israel, each of you kill those of his men who have yoked themselves to Baal of Pure. So God had a conditional covenant relationship with Israel. They knew very well 
the consequences. For their sin was death. They knew it. It wasn't like this came out of nowhere. Oh, God, I didn't know you were going to do that. Now, they knew what the deal was. So the chiefs of the tribes were hung out in the sun for everyone to see. See, leadership is a great responsibility. It's a great privilege. But when there's a fall, and when God's people lead, when God's leaders lead people into sin, there's a great consequence. And that's what the leaders did. They led the people into sin. Now, as New Testament believers, we don't have this conditional relationship with God in this way, but there's still consequences to idolatry in our lives. There's still consequences God gives us. Look at Proverbs 14, 12. There is a way that seems right to a man, but in the end is the way to death. Hey, I, that should be fine. Well, no, it's not. God's Word says it's not. Right? Our own sinful inclinations will lead us into what we think is right, what feels right, what seems right, but it's not. In the end, it leads to death. You know, when children are small, when they're young, and I don't know when this stops, it stops at some age, they think they know what is right all the time. Right? They think they know what is right. And even though a three- or four-year-old, for instance, has absolutely hardly any life experience, they still think they know what is right. That's why God gives children parents for us to tell them what is right. <laughs> but you know, things they think are fine, things they think are good, can actually be harmful to them. My four-year-old uh, lives in a house with a 16-year-old brother, and sometimes he will see uh, a video game that his brother plays, and he wants to play that game. I'm like, hey, you can't play that game. You're not old enough. And there's a game that he plays that's cartoonish, and you shoot other players, and they just disappear when you shoot them. It's cartoonish. It's harmless. But we just don't think it's a four-year-old. A four-year-old who already collects Nerf guns by the dozens, has an arsenal of them, really does, to, to think it's good uh, to shoot people in a video game when he's four. He didn't quite understand what's happening quite yet, right? He sees nothing wrong with it, but there are issues at his age. Proverbs 3 says this, My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of His reproof, for the Lord reproves whom He loves. See, God gives us consequences because He loves us. Just like you do with your children and grandchildren. As a father, as a father and the son in whom He delights. See, because of Jesus, when God disciplines us, it's not fatal. It's not fatal because of Jesus. Not like it could be, but it's not. Jesus took God's punishment on the cross. Every sin we've committed, everything we've ever done, Jesus took it on the cross. So then when we do sin, when we do experience idolatry, we aren't killed for it. Jesus was killed for it. That's the gospel. He took it so that we wouldn't have to. Now there's still discipline because He loves us. And he brings us back into the fold. So because we are children of God, we are still disciplined when we fall into the patterns of sin and idolatry. And that discipline is grace. So idolatry continues with consequences. And finally, number three, it ends with action. It's not just going to disappear. You've got to do something about it. It ends with action. Look 
at verse 6. And behold, one of the people of Israel came and brought a Midianite woman to his family in the sight of Moses and in the sight of the whole congregation of the people of Israel while they were weeping about it in the tent of meeting. The idolatry of this man was so brazen, he went and got himself a woman from Moab, paraded her down the streets in front of everyone, took him into his own tent. They know what is going to happen. And people watched and saw it. And then verse 7, one man said, that was enough. Look at verse 7. When Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, son of Aaron the priest, saw it, he rose, he got up, he left the people, the congregation that were congregating, he took a spear in his hand, and he went after the man of Israel into the chamber and pierced both of them, the man of Israel and the woman, through her belly. If you read between the lines, what he's saying is he pierced them in the act. Thus the plague on the people of Israel was stopped. Just like that. Nevertheless, those who died were 24,000. Phineas, the grandson of Aaron, who knew God's word, finally took action and killed those responsible. When we were going through COVID, if, if I told you that there was something we could do to stop it right then, wouldn't you want to do it? This is what Phineas did. Now, we talked about the Ten Commandments a few weeks ago. One of the commandments is do not murder. Not do not kill. Killing is not always murder. It's hard for us Americans to think about this. This is what we've been told. And it's not always sinful. And in this case, it was the right thing to do. Because the plague had come and the plague stopped. And the consequences of idolatry finally stopped when one of God's servants rose up and took action. In a similar way, in our own lives, we need to take action and kill the sin in our lives that leads us to idolatry. You need to pick up your spear and you need to throw it through whatever it is is leading you down the wrong road. Look at Romans 8. So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. But if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. But Colossians 3 says this, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual morality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Verse 6, On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. We don't celebrate these things when we see them happen, like so much of our world does and our culture does. We don't celebrate them. It's because of these things that God's wrath is coming. It's because of these things that Jesus was killed on the cross. So, how is God telling you to take action, to kill sin in your life today? We say, well, pastor, I don't even know how to pick a spear up. <laughs> Bend your knees. Put your hand on the spear. Pick it up and throw it. Well, that's too hard. It's, just, it's, it's not that easy. If 
you're a child of God, you have the Holy Spirit in you. Holy Spirit in you. I will direct you and show you. What drastic measures do you need to take to end the plague in your life? The sin of idolatry ends when God's people step up and take action. What you've done for us, Jesus. Lord, all of us in here today are here because we love you. We want to worship you. We love singing your praises and we love hearing the band stir us and and we just are thankful for saving us in Christ Jesus. But let's not forget, Lord, what you've saved us from. You've saved us from our sin. That's why we need you. Lord, that, that old person in our lives from time to time still tries to take over. We get weak and we, we compromise and we start going down paths we shouldn't. So Lord, I thank you that that through your grace, you can put things in our lives to bring us back. Lord, if there's one in here today that's, that's never placed their faith in you, I pray that they would do so today. They would turn from their sins and place their faith in you. They would be, they would, uh, be saved, and in a few weeks, they'd be baptized. Father, maybe there's one in here that sees that they're going down the wrong direction. Maybe today's the day where they just... They make a commitment. Maybe they come down front to this altar up here. Just get on their knees and maybe they just say, Lord, today I'm picking up my spear. Today I'm throwing it. I'm ending the plague. Lord, I pray that they'd have the courage to do that as you had the courage to die for their sin. Lord, we love you. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.